And I confess, I never thought that candles were that sexy. What? They're the sexiest. You light them, it's real sexy. It's like dim light. Everyone looks good under candlelight. That's, the, that's what they say. Say hello to your new music teachers, the Decemberists. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Style Guide uh, with your hosts, Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing today, Steve-O? I'm doing great today, Dave. I'm doing absolutely great. How about yourself? I'm fantastic today. Well, I'm okay. I'm recovering from surgery. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell the people who are listening that, but just so you know, if I seem a little like lackadaisical and out of it, I'm in recovery mode. Well, you know. We all here at uh, the Style Guide and, and faithful listeners hope that you get well soon, Dave. Thanks. <laughs> so uh, what's today's episode? Today's episode is uh, something totally different that we've never done before, is we are going to tackle talking about a musical group. So we're going to talk about a band. We're not going to talk about a movie. We're not going to talk about a book or a style of book or movie, but a band and that style of music they play. And the band is my favorite band. I don't know about you. The Decemberists. Les Decemberists. As yeah, they say I don't in think French. anyone says that in French. Are you sure? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they call it, ah, qu'est-ce que c'est? C'est The Decemberists. <laughs> well, the, the more you know. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, yeah, so we're talking about The Decemberists because uh, I love them. I know you like them. And we've yeah. both spent a lot of time listening to them. So, uh, And they have such a, they have a very unique style about them they do they they are one of those bands where you can definitively say there is a style to their music and i think that's one of the reasons why we wanted to tackle them because of how how particular a decemberist album and how particular a decemberist song happens to be yeah uh-huh and uh and i know a lot of that uh to me comes from uh colin malloy the lead singer and songwriter, of course, who um, who uh, has this voice that I thought he was English when I first heard the Decemberists. He's not English? He's not English. Whoa. But I thought he had an accent when I first heard them, like an English accent, but he does not. He's just a dude from Montana. Well, my, my mind is blown. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, then again, I should have known that because your Decemberist voice is fairly good and you are not English. No, not English at all. No, it's just a, it's just the way he likes to sing. But uh, yeah, so his uh, his voice is a lot of it, but also his his lyrics. And uh, he has this, he's like an English major and a literary, literature major. So he has like this like vocabulary that is, I'm going to say ridiculous because it really is some of the word choices he makes. But, <laughs> Absolutely true. He he is an intellectual and I would go as far as saying pretentious as somebody who is fairly pretentious. I I, yeah, I think that true. that's a good description. Yeah, yeah. He uses words like, you know, like uh like uh fagund. Diddy? Fagundity? Is that what it is? Fagundity. Yeah. Which is like, what the heck? You have to you have to like listen to their music with a thesaurus in your hand. Speaking of which uh, I, I told you already. I found a, 
a, pl- a site online for like the December's dictionary where it's like someone's made a Tumblr where they just have a bunch of words that Colin Malloy uses in songs and defines them. So you can like go through and like look up like, oh, that's what tawdry means. Hmm, interesting. Uh, oh, that's what a flu is. Cool. It's neat. Well, that, that's, I mean, a, as good a place to start as any, because one of the things that I love about about the Decemberists is, yes, they are intellectuals in in their their music, but it never... It never feels out of place, and you're always able to just enjoy the song, whether or not you know the words that, that you're they're using. You the feel comes across excellently. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's uh, because he uses those words so often, like those kind of fanciful Colin Malloy words. Uh, it's part of the style of the song, and if you heard a song by the Decembers that didn't have words like that, it would feel wrong. It it would. Yeah, it's it's. Definitely one of the things that fits so smoothly into their to their their lyrics and their their song weaving. Yeah, and so that's that's just a cool thing about the Decembers is how fanciful his language is and stuff like that. Uh, that makes them sound very different from all other bands ever. Uh, and then, of course, the other thing is the uh, the storytelling aspect of their music. Yeah, of, of course, of course. One one of the things that I like to when I think about the Decemberists, I think of them as the thinking person's shins. <laughs> That's great. Okay, yeah. Explain. Well, it's, I mean, the shins are, are similarly kind of fanciful in their writing. It's, um, it's very uh, upbeat and sort of uh, optimistic music, but they're, they're very straightforward. There's, there's not a lot of depth in their in their songwriting and I don't say this as a as a slag on the band I, I enjoy the shins a great deal but they don't put that that intellectualism into their lyrics partially because they're not English majors and they they don't feel the need to whereas the Decemberists kind of have this modern day um, minstrel or troubadour feel yeah definitely yeah and it's like it's they they don't they don't come across as just poets or singers. Like their their music is filled with uh, with hard edges that that are all meant to be cutting in in the yeah. way that you see or, or or would would have seen in in like a jester, a court jester, or a bard rather than someone just writing a pop song. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic way to put it. Uh, Troubadours is great. I once heard it described that they are what rock and roll music would have been. If Europeans never came to America, <laughs> like if they just stayed in Europe and rock and roll evolved there without coming over to America and having the whole like American Revolution and all that kind of stuff, like <laughs> that's what rock and roll would sound like is their music. I, th- I like it. I think that's another good descriptor of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's just, you know, that's how I like to think of them. Continental rock, I think, is what I've heard it described as. <laughs> well, and. Um, yeah. Sorry, keep going. No, no, it's it just there There are very few bands that pull off a similar sort of feel. I mean, I think maybe something like Passenger, who who also, his, his music has a bit of a, a an edge and a critique to it, but, mm-hmm. but there aren't a lot of bands out there that are actively doing a cultural critique while they write. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, um, you know, something about uh, Colin Loy again, um, his first band. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Tarkio at all. <laughs> you you sound like such a hipster right now. No, are you? Are you familiar? I'm, I don't know I'm if not, you are. Right? I'm not. 
Yeah, so so Tarkio was his first band that sort of was in Montana, and they just did like this little Montana tour, um, and released some EPs and stuff and whatever. And then later, like when the Decemberists had started, they released like this one album of all their songs called Omnibus. I recommend getting it. But uh, when you listen to it, it is so funny because you hear Colin Malloy's singing and songwriting style slowly evolving in Tarkio. And some of the things they do are like, oh, my God, that's a Decemberist song. And other things they do, you're like, eh, it's sort of just like a rock and roll song. It's weird. It doesn't sound like – it sounds like someone's playing a December song wrong. Um, but uh, but like uh, my mother was a Chinese trapeze artist, which is uh, on the Decemberist's five-song EP that came out. Uh, do you know the song? Uh, not at the top of my head, but – My mother was the Chinese trapeze artist. You know, um, it, uh, it was originally a Tarkio song. And then the Decemberists played it on their first EP because it's a great, fantastic song. Um, and yeah, so Tarkio, it's it's fun to listen to just because you get to hear like where Colin Malloy's style came from. See, it, it almost sounds like what I would imagine like watching uh, Wes Anderson do an action movie is like, like just <laughs> like not when, when still figuring out what kind of movies you want to do. That that sounds like what you're describing as the, these earlier kind of rockier songs. Yeah, well, some of the songs are like that. And then other songs, it, I swear, it could be a December song. He has a song called, the, there's a song in the album called Tristan and His Old, which is about Tristan and His Old, like the old tale of like the lovers and the po- love potion and stuff. And so like, it's this like, you see in that song, wow, that's Colin Malloy, loving literature, loving using language, loving telling stories uh, in this kind of folky way. And the other ones have which like, you know, just more like, you know, guitar and drums. Well, and and that's that's one of the the things that is so fascinating about his his writing and and his his songs is that his love stories are are so very different than a traditional even even folk but also pop love story. Like there there is yes. there is violence in just about all of his love songs. Yeah, his love songs are are more like uh like grim fairy tale versions of today's love songs. That that's a fantastic way of describing them. Yeah, where they are still truly love songs, but they are there's more sadness to them, there's more tragedy to them and a little more, I don't know. Yeah, I like what you said before about that kind of like dark edge. It's not the romantic version of a love song, if that makes sense. It's it's this very real and human and hard hardened uh love song yeah it's like a it's like folklore you know like it's this uh it's like the love he's speaking of this love song like it is uh, like the love story as if it's this like you know mythical kind of thing this folklore type thing that doesn't actually exist does that make sense yeah yeah it it doesn't in in the same way that most you know, love songs aren't real love either, right? Like most love songs are an idyllic version of love. Yeah. He just takes it in a different direction. Yeah, like, I mean, if you look at something like Eli the Barrow Boy, uh, which is a song, if anyone knows the Decemberists, they should know, uh, which is about Eli the Barrow Boy. He sells things out of his cart and and uh, he uh, he he drowns and stuff and then he wanders around with his cart calling out the day because he got buried in a in like a churchyard and then his the love of his died and she got buried somewhere else and so he still wanders the earth calling for her because they weren't buried together. 
Like that's a fucking awesome love song. <laughs> and so sad, but so beautiful at the same time. Well, and and that's the one that's based on um uh Cockles and Muscles if I'm not mistaken, right? Very possibly. Cuz the the folk song Cockles and Muscles in Dublin's fair city where the girls are so pretty, I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone. Oh. As she wheeled her wheelbarrow through streets broad and narrow. I, th- I think that uh, my singing is terrible, but I think that, that Eli the Barrel Boy is meant to be his take on Cockles and Muscles because it's very similarly about this uh, this gal who's whe- wheeling her wheelbarrow through town and and someone who's in love with her. I have two responses to that. One, the fact that you know that song. I love you. Uh, and two... The the way that he takes these old songs and like old stories and modernizes them is a huge part of what the Decembrists do. Like with Tristan and Isolde, that's a classic old song that he's modernizing. He did a solo album where he sang the songs of Shirley MacLaine, I think. Uh, and it's Colin Malloy sings Shirley MacLaine and it's just all these old folk songs that he sings. Uh, so like you see in him this love for old folk music and old folk stories and old literature and wanting to like recreate that in a decemberist style his his english literature background like really shines through in like i imagine he he read moby dick and fell in love with it forever yeah sure Be- because like all <laughs> all of his his music kind of touches on that same sort of fascination with with the water but with also with with revenge and with this idea um, of of an all-consuming desire for whatever and he plays that out in different ways in different songs yeah the um yeah the the water thing is huge theme within his work i think the the most common way people die in his stories is by drowning or 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 if being listened to stabbed violently one of the two uh mostly drowning i think i think more drowning than anything else um yeah um but yeah you're you're totally right that he he uh, i see that especially like in the mariner's revenge song which is all of those oh, yeah. things in one song but yeah he definitely has themes of uh, that go through his works of of like uh tragic love stories um uh like the romeo and juliet type feeling like if you listen to uh the album, that that one album, that's one big story, The Hazards of Love. You know, the whole thing is a sort of tragic love story where someone dies in the water. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's everything right there. Or uh, O Valencia is also another tragic love song. It's, it's, like a, it's like Romeo and Juliet, but somewhat modern day. Um, and uh, yeah, and Revenge, definitely in there. Well, and, and even things like uh, um, uh, Billy oh, the, Liar. The Crane Wife. The the crane wife also sort of a tragic uh, love song. Oh, sorry, Billy Liar. Billy Liar. I see it kind of as the the balcony scene in Romeo and Juliet, but with with his own take on it. <laughs> that's that's a really weird way to hear that song. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way at all. Never thought of it that way. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's but it, I. It's like he takes that the kind of innocent playfulness of that scene in Shakespeare, and he goes, "Yeah, but what would it actually be like if a young man was was looking up at a at a gal in her uh, in in her balcony?" Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty funny because I always just see it as a peeping tom. Uh, well, and, so. and maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, his stories definitely uh, are fantastic and absolutely amazing. Which ones? Uh, uh, you know, we, let's go through some of these albums. Okay. Okay. 
I go something like how, uh, like the or, or more like the the sort of because I'd say there's like two three generations of Decemberist so- uh, albums, maybe four. Is what I'm going to say. Okay. Is I'm going to say there's the early stuff like Castaways and Cutouts and Her Majesties. Yep. And then Pigoresque and the Crane Wife to me kind of like elevate that a little bit higher. And then the Hazards of Love and the King is Dead. Actually, the Hazards of Love I think is its own little thing. I agree. And then the King is Dead and What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World kind of clumped together. Would you agree with that kind of breakdown? I would. I would. I would say that when we're in Castaways and Her Majesty, we're in the rawest form of of the decemberists where mm. where the the violence is there in in all of it and and there are hard edges on everything and it's it's him kind of at his he most cynical yeah and and then you know we 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 get in through picaresque and and the crane wife which kind of softens some of some of that cynicism and and starts to even have a little bit of uh, optimism about the idea of love a little bit at times, but also it starts to be his stronger, you know, cultural critiques start to really come in, like 16 Military Wives, which is yeah. such a fun little song, but it's very clearly aimed towards the context in which he's embedded. Yeah, we got to jump back a second here because the Castaways and Cutouts and Her Majesty uh, the Decemberists I think I can play almost every single song from those albums. That surprises me not one bit. I love them all so much. Um, And all of them kind of have this sad love to them. You're totally right. Like if you look at like the track listings, I'm just looking at the track listings on Her Majesties. We have Shandy for the Arethusa, Arethusa, Billy Liar, uh, which you think is about Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Uh, but then we have like Los Angeles, I'm Yours, which is this absolutely sad, beautiful, longing song about how much he loves and hates Los Angeles, essentially. It's hollowness will haunt you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. And the gymnast high above the ground, so sad. Uh, the Bachelor and the Bride, Myla Goldberg, which is hilarious. I met her once. She's awesome. Yeah. Uh, the Soldiering Life, this kind of like you know, like gay soldier kind of thing. Uh, sad Love. Red Right Ankle, obviously Sad Love. Chimbley Sweep. Uh, still got a sad love to it. And then I was meant for the stage, which is just like the anyone who's ever been in the theater. It's just, man, that song will make you ball. Uh, so like, I think, I think yeah, they hit it on the head with that like sad, tragic love. Well, and I think you're right. Like something like Los Angeles, I'm yours. Like the that kind of embodies how much he's writing odes to cities and people, but they're filled with ugliness. Like he knows this. He doesn't pretend that that these things are all perfect and beautiful and they they certainly can be terrible. Yeah, it is it is very much like an ode to something or someone and then yeah, uh intentionally well it's like if something is too perfect it doesn't feel right. And so he makes sure his songs have this roughness to them so that it feels true even though it is completely fictional. Absolutely, absolutely, and and I think I think that's the marker of of his earlier stuff is that he's he's trying to be be true in his fictions, whereas once we get into something like picaresque, that starts to go away, right? We get like there's there's still certainly true stories, but like you wouldn't say things like the Mariner's Revenge makes you feel like it's a true story, yeah, yeah. 
Whereas something like red right ankle just tugs at you. It does. Yeah. And you know it might not be true, but you know it it has truth in it, you know, or it feels like it has truth in it, whether it is or not. Who knows? Um, and same with same with Eli the Barrel Boy. You're totally right. And the sporting life, you know, it's about like an athlete. Like all those kind of tracks are just very, very whimsical. So it's like uh, like to me, picaresque is where they hit their peak of that style that they were doing in the first two albums. You know? Where they hit like, hey, every track is a story and every story is awesome and they're just more fun. Yeah, well, and, and I think, is that, uh, it, it's picaresque that has the engine driver on it, right? Where, um, where yes, I am a writer, a writer of fictions, like that line? Which is, yeah, what, which is a, a great track to sum up that whole album. Yeah. Well, and that's exactly, I think you're you're pointing exactly to them at their height there of of their decemberist istiness where they they're acknowledging how how fictional this world that they're living in is. Yeah. I'll also point out I did learn how to sing every song on that uh, CD as well and learn how to play it all on the guitar. <laughs> See, and and this is the difference between you and me. I definitely can't sing and you clearly can. <laughs> yeah, but I, I learned every song cuz it was it's such all those songs are so great to play at open mics, let me tell you. And on the bus mall is so uh, again, beautifully sad, like and and like tragic love story of like uh, two two gay men who are living in bus malls and like in love with each other and stuff as like prostitutes. It's like it took me a while to realize that that's what that song was about. And when I did, I was like, brilliant. Well, and it's the same thing with something like the soldiering life, right? Like where the soldiering life seems like it's this you know celebration almost of these these guys in the military and then you realize that no it's it is a tragic love song yeah and mm-hmm. it's a tragic love song about the these these gay men and and you're you that's what i love about his music where you're listening to it and you're just like oh this is one thing and then you really start to listen to it and it's something else altogether yeah for sure oh it's such a such a great album I'm just looking, looking at the tracks on it again. I'm like, oh, I like every single song on this album. Like even the Infant, Infanta, the very first one. You know, it's such a great, exciting, fun song. Like, oh man, it's, it's a wonderful album. But it's also such this, this, such a fantasy. That's the amazing part. Like it's, like I, I didn't. That's one of those songs where I had to go do a little bit of reading because I had no idea what it was talking about. Like, I didn't know that it was about the daughter of a ruling monarch in Spain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> like, but, but it's this sort of fascination with uh, the idea of a coronation and the pomp and pageantry of the crown. And it's just this tiny little baby who has no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And the Bagman's Gambit, again, wonderful. But like a... A love story between like a spy and like uh, someone that informed him without knowing it, and like, oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, and it's this betrayal. And I, I'm, I'm going to say something else that might be uh, kind of ridiculous, but the um, from my own true love, the mm. um, Mr. Yeah. Postman, do you have a letter for me? Yeah. I I don't know why, but when I listen to that song, I kind of get this Elvis feel. 
<laughs> like this return ridiculous. return to sender sort of thing where it reminds me a lot of of elvis and and return to sender and i don't know why yeah probably because it's about uh, letters coming and it's being kind of sad uh to me it, it goes back to like old classic folk songs and it's just like there, there's only like what eight lines in that whole song or something like that yeah you know um and uh, and it's just like to me that song is from a female perspective. Yeah, yeah. No, I I can see that. Yeah, it's neat. It's one of the first times that I think. No, I don't. I don't know if it's actually the first time he sings from a female perspective. But it feels like he's singing from a female perspective, whether he is or not. I don't know. I guess that's up to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's that's the other thing, right? Like, you could read things uh, like um, the not the Mariner's Revenge. Um, the soldiering life and and his other songs uh where where you're reading them kind of as these these uh homosexual love songs for yeah and he's like you they don't have to be read that way i don't think but for i think the soldiering life definitely is meant to be well <laughs> and but, same with the bus mom <laughs> but but uh but he does sing leslie and levine as well which is definitely from a uh, female perspective unless leslie's the boy um, yeah, so Picaresque, such a fantastic album. And definitely the height of that style. Because then we get into The Crane Wife. And uh, it, that, that's the, the era when I feel like they were starting to get more into this, like, they were trying out, like, this heavier style of music. Like, a little more electric guitar starts coming in uh, with things like Summer Song and When the War Came and The Perfect Crime has got, like, this, like, I don't, I don't know, this kind of, like, a 70s almost feel to it. Um but it starts getting a little heavier for some of them. And then the rest of them are just like exactly what you'd expect. Like the whole Crane Wife 1 and 2 and the Crane Wife 3 are just like exactly like that old picaresque style of December. This this is the thing where one of the reasons why I look for Shakespeare in his earlier stuff is that this is so clearly inspired by The Tempest. And I think he's explicitly said that before. But this this album is very much... Uh, a, a folk retelling of the tempest in a in a bunch of different ways and, and which one Sorry. the crane wife the tempest hey interesting i'm pretty sure it's actually a, based on an old story about the crane wife yeah no like there's an old story called the crane wife yeah no i i i think you're right on that but i think i think that the the album also has uh connections to his uh to 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 the tempest. Oh, interesting. Um, you love Shakespeare, I guess. Hey? I re- this is the problem. I've been doing. It's been a summer of Shakespeare for me, so I've been really thinking about him a lot. <laughs> yeah. No. It, and it it is uh, the crane wife is based on an old Japanese story. Okay. Okay. About a man who marries a young crane. Um. But yeah. So like, I, I can see the Shakespeare stuff too. Yeah. He likes Shakespeare. You can tell he likes literature. He well, likes and old and, folk but, stories. But, like, that's the thing. Both The Crane Wife and The Hazards of Love, like, their connection is that they're both um, concept albums almost, where, where, they're, where they're trying to tell a whole story with the entire album. Yes. I mean, uh, the, the, I'd say The Crane Wife is where he starts experimenting with that idea. Yeah. You know, and he gets The Crane Wife 1 and 2 and 3, so that's clearly connected. We could say things like, you know, Sons and Daughters kind of connects with the, the when the war came and stuff like that. But I think those – only the crane wife has like a clear connection. Uh, and the rest you can, if you'd like, imagine them as one big story. But you're definitely right. The Hazards of Love is where they branch into that 
Let's let's take our storytelling and this new like kind of heavier sound that we've been playing with and put them together into a full album. That is all one story. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Like for me, The Hazards of Love is I think my least favorite of the albums as a mm-hmm. whole. Okay. Okay, why is that? Well, I I feel like something gets lost in them attempting to tell this entire story. Like I I like I think I like all of the songs on the album, but like things like the way The Hazards of Love gets broken up into these four songs, I when I listen to the album, I want them to come together more. Hmm. Interesting. And and I don't like the way that it's broken up. Hmm. Yeah. I, I think I would love to see them play this straight through live, which I know they've done. because um, it's such a it's it would be so much fun to see this live all the way through. And they brought in like guest singers and stuff. Like they totally made it a an, like a little mini opera. Um but uh but I agree in the sense that it I enjoy lots of the individual songs on the album and I enjoy the whole thing together, but it's the one that I, when I'm like listening to the Decemberists on shuffle or something like that, if a Hazards of Love song comes up, I usually skip it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly because it. it. Feels, because it feels out of, uh, uh, out of sync with everything else I've been listening to because it's like, oh, this fits in with those, those other songs. I should stop listening now. Uh, with the exception of like a couple of the songs, like "And Anne in Water," I really like. If that comes on, I can listen to it on its own. And um, the Rakes song, which, which has got to be one of the, I think when he wrote that song and he showed it to his wife, she was like, uh, she was like, "That's the darkest song you've ever written." <laughs> it is about a man who ends up with three kids and then he kills them all. He kills his kids, Steve-O. Infant side, Steve-O. Well, and and this is the thing. Like, so this is where I think we start to see the midlife of the Decemberists shine through. Where is had, had, does he have a kid yet at this point with the Hazards of Love? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. But I mean, it. We we definitely start to see both in the King is dead, and certainly in uh, what a terrible world, what a beautiful world. Him being a man in a relationship with children, hmm. and so yeah, that's uh, that's it. like how Eddie Murphy kind of went from like raw to uh, you know Doctor Doolittle to now I don't even know what he does anymore, but some some other ridiculous crappy movies. Um, but like how he slowly went from this hard, like very uh, mature audience only kind of offensive material to happier material. Well, and I mean, there are still certainly uh, songs that that don't have that same, or or that that still cut. But yeah, I think that they're he's starting to kind of get a stronger appreciation for for kind of the world. He's trying he's trying to be more hopeful, if only because he has a has children now, mm. and and mm-hmm. he he he's he has that natural instinct to you know hope that the world will be better for for his children and yeah. and i mean like definitely the case with um uh, with what a terrible world what a beautiful world like that's explicitly him him talking about how yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of terrible things in this world but i'm i'm still but it's still a beautiful world yeah yeah and and him struggling with exactly how he feels about that except for maybe philomena 
Which I'm pretty sure is just a song about a guy who wants to go down on a woman. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll be your candle. <laughs> yeah, and he says, Oh, Philomena, you in your tawdry gown. <laughs> Let me go down, down, down. I'm pretty sure that's what it's about. <laughs> well, and, and this is the part that, that makes me giggle every time because songs that take the idea of candles and make them very sexual... Like Rent yeah. did this as well, right? Let me, uh, can I light your candle or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. And then here again in Philomena. And I, and I confess, I never thought that candles were that sexy, but. What? They're the sexiest. You light them, it's really sexy. It's like dim light. Everyone looks good under candlelight. That's, the, that's what they say. Just for the record, we just found the intro for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> you, you weirdo. But. But but that's the but, oh sorry go ahead yeah no I see I see I, I see where you're saying he does definitely become much more hopeful uh, with the king is dead and and uh, and um, what a beautiful world what a terrible world uh, whichever order it goes like things like January hymn and June hymn like there's, there's hymns on that track and it's definitely starting to become a lot more folky and they've left behind that like hard metal stuff they did for a while and gotten more into this like uh, um, back to the like almost to their roots you know. Like to the to the folk music roots, yeah, yeah, and this time they're doing it as adults instead of as as younger. I I Angsty. actually don't know if there are who is in the band. I just are, are the, you don't know who's in the band. Yeah, uh, it, it it they've added like there's a lot more musicians that play with them all, all the time, and I think people have come and gone a little bit. But the main band is um, Colin, Chris, Jenny, Nate. And uh, the drummer, John. Okay. okay. Moen. John Moen. That's the drummer. Um, on most of their albums, that's the set. And then they have other people who come in for this and that. People, violinists have played with them a bunch. The same person over and over again. I don't really know them very well. Okay. And actually, a uh, little trivia the other four members of the Decemberists are also in another band together as a side project when the Decemberists weren't on tour for a while. They created this little side project that they did. I can only assume it's because Colin was either out doing one of his Colin Malloy sings tours or he sings Morrissey songs or something and or sings Shirley MacLaine or he had a baby <laughs> and the Decemberists were like taking a break and he was and they were like, hey, let's start another little band. Uh, it's kind of neat. I can't even remember what it's called. Uh, wait, I do. It's called Black Prairie. Well, and I, I guess uh, another comparison to to someone like Colin Malloy would be uh, Jack White mm-hmm. from the White Stripes. Like, definitely sure. their their style of music is very different, but the same sort of intellectualism in their in their songs and the the really appreciation for a particular genre and craft of music, and then the desire to just to just be musicians, like. Yeah. I, I think you know, of them is... as sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, you think of them as uh, akin well, to I, each I, other. Yeah, yeah, kin, kindred spirits. Even though you would never, uh, they would never be in a band together. Yeah, or be on a playlist together. Yeah, uh, maybe they would. Uh, but yeah, I think what I uh, something else I love about the Decemberists is that as they've grown as musicians and gone on this arc, I've gone with them. Like I, uh, I started listening to them back when I think. I think the first song I ever heard was The Legionnaire's Lament. So is that on Her Majesty's? I think that is on Her Majesty's. Maybe uh, it's on Castaways. Castaways, Castaways. And Cutouts. Yep. It is. So like right back to Castaways and Cutouts. And then I went back and got their like five-song EP and stuff and listened to that. And so I've been listening to them since then. So I've learned their style and the whole feel of it. And then as they get into 
picaresque and crane wife, but they're starting to peak in this like, wow, this is so great. And then they're like, we should change this and get a little heavier. And now they're out of that heavy phase and into this like folky phase. And it's just like as they've grown and changed as musicians, I've grown and changed with them, you know, and I've really enjoyed that journey. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I, despite the fact that there are some people that, that think that they've changed too much with these last couple of albums, which I love that they explicitly reference that in What a Terrible World, you know, we knew you built your oh. life around us. Oh, God, when, when that, that line, when he sings, um, uh, so when your bridal recessional, uh, bridal processional is a televised confessional for the benefits of Axe Shampoo, you know we did it for you. That line is so funny to me <laughs> because uh, Missy and I, when we walk, when my wife and I got married, uh, when we walked out, when we left, we left to a December song, which may very well one day become an Axe Shampoo commercial. <laughs> yeah, and and those are the kinds of fun edges that are still around in their music, but it's a it's a more lighthearted edge than something like the Shank Hill Butchers, right? Definitely, yeah. And and in a lot of ways, this this most recent uh, album, it's a mature album. It's it's a collection of songs written with uh, careful glances at the past, not so much with longing, but more with wisdom and maturity to a degree. And yeah, and sure. the love songs in there, they're not perfect, and neither is the world. But not, uh, you know, neither there there are adult concerns or or family concerns at this point, and. And so it does feel like the Decemberists have have grown up. Definitely. Yeah, that's super uh, correct. You know, there's one album we haven't spoken about at all yet. Uh, the Tain. And what's that? Have you ever heard The Tain before? What? I have no idea what you're talking about. So it's not actually an album. It's similar to like, a, I don't know if you heard Long Live the King. It's like five songs that were released that didn't make it onto the King is Dead album. Um, so they have these little tiny releases that come out here oh, and there. okay. Or like, you know, them performing live and stuff. Uh, but the Tain is, uh, I'm not sure when it actually came out. I, uh, the, the date is not on the top of my head right now. Um, but people can Google it. And it is one song that's sort of broken into five parts, if I remember correctly. And it's one long story. Oh, kind of like the island on the crane wife. Yes, because it kind of goes through these like movements within it, you know, or the island and slash come okay, and see. Okay. But yeah, so like it's uh, it's this um, it's this huge one song that they did a long time ago too, probably back when they were doing castaways and cutouts and stuff like that. And it's great because Jenny sings on it. She sings this absolutely lovely thing. I think it's part three, and it's just so like she has this like airy voice while she plays the piano. Uh, Oh, the wind is howling, it burns your skin. It's just so fantastic. Uh, but it was their first sort of attempt at this like one story for, I think it's like a 20-minute album or something like that, 20, maybe 30 minutes. Uh, it's beautiful. You should check it out, man. You'd like it. Yeah, no, I'm 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 grabbing it right now. That's that sounds like it'll be an interesting. Yeah, list. and you can also hear like the sort of inspiration for uh, the hazards of love in that as well, because like it also has a little bit heavier sounds in there, a little more uh, uh, electric guitar type things and less folky. Uh, but then it also has some of that classic like accordion feeling kind of music. 
Although I don't know if there's an accordion in it, but you know, you get you mm. get the idea. Yeah, it feels like it feels like Shakespeare. I get what you're saying. <laughs> you you think accordions are everything. I think Shakespeare's in everything. Yeah, Shakespeare is in everything. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, um, what is? Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of want to ask you what your favorite December song is, but I don't know if that's going to be possible to answer. Well, I mean, the the thing for me and. And I, I mean, it's, I was meant for the stage is a song that really connects with me, obviously, because, because of a background in theater and, and sure. how egotistical I yeah, am, of course. <laughs> but, but it's not, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's the song that I would sit down and be able to just listen to forever. And I generally, I just love the album. I love the entire album. And I think... My my worry is that as we we move towards more and more musicians who are aiming for singles, so that they can because people are buying individual songs more than they're buying albums, yada yada yada. Yeah. My worry is that the the album is is going to go away, and and the people who suffer from that are people like the Decemberists mm. who write entire albums and have entire you know 45 minute sets that all come together beautifully and so trying to pick one individual song is hard for me yeah and i I, um and on that same note it's not even the fact that the stories bleed into each other throughout the album it's that the decemberist is the kind of music that i mean some of it of course is exempt from this like some songs are very poppy sounding like Oh, Valencia comes on at Starbucks and it fits in with what's playing. You know, like it's got like this like it's kind of fun. You can dance to it almost, which is unlike most December songs. But or you couldn't like, you know, dance in a club to it. But but when you're listening to the Decemberist, to me, it's like after I hear a Decemberist song, I want to hear another Decemberist song. If I hear a, a, another more jarring sounding, like if it goes from like the Decemberists to Taylor Swift, that's really going to mess my playlist up. Like it's not going to feel right because uh, the Decemberists have such a distinct sound. Um, you know, like if it went from the Decemberists into something like, uh, like, uh, oh, what's that band called that I've been listening to lately? Oh, see, i already forgotten this band that I like. Because all I listen to is the Decemberists. <laughs> um, um, what are they called? Oh, the Fleet Foxes. Have you okay, heard the Fleet right. Foxes? Yeah, yeah. So like they, if it goes from the Decemberists into the Fleet Foxes, it's a little jarring, but it's not too bad. And I think I want to correct you. I think it might just be Fleet Foxes. I don't think there's a the. Well, I was. I just. It's Foo Fighters, not the Foo Fighters. Yeah, but I wanted you to know that I was talking about the Fleet Foxes, not a Fleet Foxes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 I understand what you're getting at. Anyway, so the, so like yeah, so the the album of the Decemberists is really what you need. You you want to listen to a lot of their songs together. You don't want to just buy one song and put it into your like collection of music because it's just not going to fit very easily with other music. Well, and that's another way in which I I I feel like the Shins and the Decemberists are similar. When I'm listening to the shins, I want to listen to the shins, mm. I, and and it's hard to jump to a different band and and have it be as smooth and cohesive. Whereas you can put, you're right, Taylor Swift next to just about any other pop song, and it's fine. It it goes together. Yeah, because 
it has the same, almost probably the same time signature, even. Um, and like <laughs> probably the same four chords. I mean, you know, not that the Decemberists don't use the same chords over and over again a lot of the time. <laughs> Man, he really loves like that C to A minor <laughs> to F to G. Man, I love it too. Um, but that sentence you just said, I don't understand what any of it meant. Oh, it's like it's a chord progression where you take this, a C and then you walk it down is what we call it, where you like put your finger on a different note and then you end in an A minor. And it's got this, it's it's Eli the Barrel Boy. You know, Eli the Barrel Boy is like A minor up to C and then back down to A minor. Uh, so they just like walk toward each other really nicely. And so he loves going from like C to A minor and then into an F and then a G, which gives, build, like builds it back up. It's it's a it's a wonderful. If I had my guitar handy, I would just play it for you right now, so you could hear. Uh, you want me to play it? I'm gonna play it for you right now. Hold on one second. <laughs> this this must be what it feels like when I talk to you about uh, German idealism in the 1900s, and you're not even there to appreciate that comment because you're getting your guitar. Are you there? I'm here. <laughs> okay. I'm playing actually on your guitar that you left me, Steve. <laughs> Aww. And you left me to me very untuned. <laughs> All right, pause the recording. Okay, we're tuned now. Um, so here's here's uh, here's what the C walk down to A minor and then into F and G sounds like. Okay. You hear that? Yeah, yeah, I get it. <laughs> I'm glad we took a 10-minute break. <laughs> there it is again with the Eli the Barrel Boy. Anyway, sorry. Okay, guitar is the way now. I just thought we'd play that. If you really want to, you can cut that whole part out. <laughs> oh, no, it's it's going to stay in. Especially the me tuning part. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, <laughs> where were we before I had this impulse to play that track for you? Um, oh, we were on our, our favorite songs and how yeah, and yeah. how it's so, impossible to really pick one favorite December song. At least for me, I know it. Yeah, and, and that's what it seems like. I mean, I might be able to to pick a favorite album, but even then, that's like I've really start, come to love What a Terrible World, What a Beautiful World, even though I wouldn't have said that was my favorite a few even a few weeks ago. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, cause you've been just because you've been listening to it lately. Well, yeah, and I and I better understand where it's coming from in the context of the rest of his work. Yeah. Like, it it really is written from the perspective of a man who has children. Yeah, and you know what else is another shift from his like young rock star to man who has children? Is he wrote a children's book? He wrote a children's Did book. Did you not know this? He I wrote didn't. a series. There's three of them, I think. Uh, the Wildwood Chronicles. And it's about like a, a a young girl named Prue, I believe, who lives in Portland. And there's like this dark forest and she ends up in the forest and meets all these kind of magical creatures and stuff like that. And when you read it, it is, oh my goodness, it is the Decemberists <laughs> in a novel. Like some of it is just so uh, ridiculously like you're like Colin Malloy and you roll your eyes at him like it's like he uses some of the the classic kind of Decemberisty words and stuff like that, um, and then he'll like have like a like these what is it? It's these like 
foxes or something in the woods who have like bayonets and stuff like that. Um, it is uh, amazing. Um, here, let me see if I can. I'm going to read you this little thing. Can I read you something? Definitely. You're pathetic, shouted one of the larger coyotes, baring his yellow teeth at one of his smaller compatriots. I request a simple fire, and you idiots can't get a single ember alight. Some of the animals had, uh, had, had what appeared to be sheathed sabers attached to belts around their waists, while others stood leaning against tall bayonet-topped rifles. This larger coyote rested his paw on the ornate pommel of a long, curved sword. That was a random paragraph that had the word bayonet in it. <laughs> and it also had the words, um, what else, uh, had the word, this is a kid's book. Uh, so he's using words like compatriot, the characters speaking using the word alight, they, uh, the bayonet topped rifles, the ornate pommel. I don't even know what the word pommel means. I'm going to, what is, a rounded knob on the end of the handle of a sword. Yeah. He used the word pommel. Instead of saying handle, it's just like you hear it and you're like, this is Colin Malloy as a writer. <laughs> uh, and it's that that sounds a lot like Redwall mixed with Chronicles of Narnia, which mixed with pretension. Yeah. And, you know, and it's one of these things where it's like, I, I love it. I, I, I love that style and I love reading it. But every time I read it, it takes me out of the novel for a minute because I'm like, oh, Colin Malloy, you're doing your thing that you do. <laughs> and it kind of makes me laugh a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So like, I think, uh, I see what you mean about the him growing older and kind of like becoming a father, I guess, and becoming just like a you know an adult. Yeah, yeah. It's it's easy to to throw stones when when you're when you're a young man, and and that's what that's really that's what we do a lot. We do when we're younger and and carefree, where it's easy for us to be cynical about the things around us. But it's harder, you know, as as he's saying, you know the. When when you see your wife, you know, and she's she's holding your son, and and it's just this moment where you feel like a father, and the world seems a little bit hopeful, even if you're you're an angry or a cynical uh, person. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to say it, and I think that is uh, a good way to sum up the December. Is that beautiful, sad longing? <laughs> you know, the world is terrible, but. We're going to find beauty in it and sing about it and tell stories about it in this beautiful way and, and find love in these dark places and, and uh, happiness in these tragedies. Yeah, yeah. Even, I mean, The King is Dead has uh, that calamity song. And and it's this song, uh, this love song, at you know, after the war of the end times. Yeah. And, like, it has this post-apocalyptic world feel to it. And... In a lot of ways, it reminds me of Margaret Atwood's dystopias. <laughs> like it's it it has this loving ode to to normalcy, when there will never ever be a normal again. Yeah, and nor was there ever really that normal to begin with. Mm -hmm. And and yet at the same time, you know it it's it's nostalgic and loving and and cynical and bitter and and it just. It goes back and forth in a very human way, I guess. I just need to correct you for a second there because it's not called that calamity song. It's called the calamity song. <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty sure it's I just called that. calamity song. <laughs> I think we're both wrong oh. here. 
Sorry, sorry. <laughs> couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Well, uh, how about you, Dave? Uh, any last thoughts for you as we come to the uh, end? The Zembers have been a, a huge part of my life uh, musically and just personally, you know, and I, I really enjoy their work and uh, I've seen them live and they're fantastic live. Uh, I think if there's anything that we haven't talked about that we should mention at the very least is their live performances are as uh, as whimsical as their music. Have you ever seen them perform live? I have not. They uh, do really fun, incredibly great live shows. Like uh, I think like infamously, infamously, maybe just famously, uh, when they play the Mariner's Revenge song, um, like the drummer stands up and just brings his like his uh, his one drum forward, and he plays that drum and uh, and like a uh, tambourine because that's all he plays in the whole song, and so he comes forward and he plays it like in the middle of the stage. And uh, when the whale comes out, they get the audience to make all the screaming and shouting and stuff. And then they come out with this big uh, – Chris Funk comes out with this big fake whale and like eats <laughs> Colin and stuff like that. Like it's like they put on a little mini play when they sing that song. Um, and same with like uh, – I think uh, I think it was – yeah, they did an encore of the Chimbley Sweep. And they do this thing where they get everyone to lie down on the ground. And so, like, they start getting really slowed down, and then they lie on the ground, and then everyone just lies on the ground, and then all of a sudden it kicks in, and everyone stands back up and goes crazy. Uh, so they do like lots of really fun, kind of whimsical audience participation type stuff in their in their live shows, and it's wonderful. It's so fun. That that sounds mad, like madness, but it does sound like a lot of fun. No, it's uh, it's so much fun. It's like uh, yeah, you're 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 a part of the song. Um, so, yeah, but my final thoughts on the Decemberists are that they are the they, – they have influenced my storytelling, my improvisation. They've influenced my music playing. They've influenced uh, just uh, my thoughts on uh, folklore and history and stuff. Like they've, they've been a huge influence on a lot of my creative work. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Uh, and I hope we did it justice. And if people haven't heard the Decemberist and they actually listened to this whole episode, you should go listen to the Decemberists. Uh, I recommend starting with uh, starting from the beginning. I agree. I think I think that it it it's hard to it it's hard for me to to step back from the Decemberists and and take a look at 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 them as a whole um, because of just how. How much I appreciate the the whimsy and wonder in in their songs and in their in their music, because they they feel they they feel for me a lot like what I idealize music as, in that it it is meant to be fun, it is meant to be playful, but it is it is also so clearly trying to say something and do something. Mm -hmm. They they wanna they wanna tell us history in their music, and they they want us to remember certain events and certain certain places and people uh, in in some of them famous, some of them not, some of them significant to them personally, some of them significant on a grander scale, and and they really feel like they're trying to continue an oral tradition in a world that doesn't have room for an oral tradition. Yeah, what a terrible world. What a beautiful world. <laughs>
and and it's just i i see them as storytellers that are trying to to cling to a way of life that we we don't have time for and don't have room for and so when i sit down and listen to their music i almost feel like i'm transported into a different mindset that i don't usually have time for that i don't usually have the energy for and and i sit down and i listen to one song of theirs and i want to listen to the whole album because they're they're telling me the folklore that they think is most important that they think is significant and and it's it's hard to be objective about that because i i'm living in the world that they're singing about yeah well said yeah and i think that um always uh like they create the art that they want to hear and that has also influenced my life and the improv i do i improvise the stories i want to tell and have a lot of fun doing it and to not be afraid to change your sound change who you are um grow evolve do different things write books do your own little tours your own little side projects uh, and just keep on creating creating and creating yeah that's that's exactly it you're 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 right in in that that's exactly what they're doing they're doing what they want to do and and you can come along for the ride when we arrive sons and daughters we'll build our homes on the waters it's a weird way to end it that was a weird way to end it. you should cut that last thing out that i just said <laughs>